Welcome to the Coast Life Church Podcast. We exist to lead people to the abundant life in Christ. For a great way to stay connected throughout the week, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Hey, I want to say a great big welcome to everybody who's here for the first time and everybody online. Come on, would you give them a great big welcome today? How many of you know that God loves your worship? How many of you know God would love your worship a little more on Saturday night? I just, that's funny right there. But uh, if you've been here, we're asking people to go to Saturday night church. We're out of room on Sunday. We'd love it if you'd join us on Saturday night. But it's so good to see you. You guys can be seated this weekend. We are in week five of a collection called Going Nuclear. And we've been talking about fighting for the nuclear family. And I hope this collection has been helpful to you. And this weekend is the finale. And the scriptural thought that we've been going with for the past few weeks is Jesus talked about being aware, being aware of the leaven of the Sadducees and the fair of the Pharisees. And we've been talking about the, the leaven that is permeating our culture and even permeating the church. And I'm not going to read that verse today. Hopefully we've established that concept. But we've been talking about the leaven of something called critical theory. And today I want to I begin with this verse uh, found in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. And the Bible says, if you want to get a picture in your head of a vision for what heaven will be like, if you want to get a picture of what God's promise is, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 14 And after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elder and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen and blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know, And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. What's our vision? It's people from every race, tribe, tongue, nation, culture, all standing together to say there's one king and his name is Jesus. And to worship the Lamb. Come on, to worship the Lamb who sits on the throne forever and ever, who is worthy of wisdom and power and honor and glory, that He is the one who is worthy. Let's pray today. Father, thank You for this time in Your Word. We open our hearts to receive the Word of God today. Speak to our hearts. Help us. Make us better. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Today, I want to do God's recipe for race. And you guys have probably never noticed, but I'm a, I'm a white guy. Okay, I'm sure you've never noticed that. Uh, but I would submit that I'm pretty fly for a white guy. And 
<laughs> that song's like 30 years old, right? I mean, how old is that song? I don't know. Uh, the joke never gets old, though. It's just, it's like Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But uh, how many of you know talking about race can, and can get awkward really quickly? And it can get offensive very quickly. And to a lot of people in our, in our world right now, uh, because of the color of my skin, this would uh, be a taboo subject. But um, one is I can't do a whole lot about the, <laughs> about the color of my skin. Uh, two is I know that God's called me to be a pastor. And I know that he's called me to pastor a diverse church. That, that's what God's vision for our house is. It's, it's the vision that God gave us a long time ago. I don't even know if I've ever told this, but I almost bailed on coming to Venice because I looked up the city data and Venice was like 107% white. And I was like, I don't know if that's the place for me. I want to have a diverse church. But then I began to realize, I think God sent Coast Life so that we could be a leader and a forerunner of saying, let's bring the church together. Let's bring people together in one church. And I, I grew up in a, in a city called Blyville, Arkansas. And Blyville is, and by the way, please forgive me, but I'm just going to freely use the terms white and black. Uh, but I, I, I grew up in Blyville, Arkansas, which is a predominantly black city. The, the, the city is majority black and minority is, is white. And my dad pastored a church that started, and he didn't start the church. It was a little small church. He took it. And in the 80s, my dad was a pastor, and, and, and two black families called him and said, could we come to your church? And my dad said, no. I'm just joking. He said, yes. My dad's not a racist, thank God. Uh, <laughs> he, he said, yes. And, it, and in the 80s, it broke the color barrier of my dad's church. Those two families stepping into that faith community uh, broke the color barrier. And then over, over years, the, the church began to reflect the city. And the church that my dad pastored was majority uh, black and minority white. And when I became a, a youth pastor... I had like 17 kids. I was killing it. I had 17 kids and, and only two of them were white. And so frequently we do, uh, do events. And if the two white kids didn't show up, it would be me and, and, and you know, a, a youth group of black kids. And uh, a mom asked me one time, she was like, is it awkward for you being the only white guy? And honestly, I'd never noticed it because it was just, it's church, it's family. Like it's just, it's just what we do. And, uh, and so it was a, it was a predominantly... Uh, a, a majority black church. And because of that, I got, and because I'm white, I got opportunities to preach in white churches. I got opportunities to preach in diverse churches. And I got opportunities to preach in, in what would be, you know, all black churches. And I'll, I'll never forget my first time to preach in a, in a church where I was the only white person in the room. And I was barely in my 20s, so it's debatable on whether or not I should even be trying to declare the eternal word of God. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even know if I should have been preaching, much less trying to go into, you know, and something like this to, to represent uh, the kingdom of God. And so I, I went. It was the first time I ever saw a picture of black, a painting of black Jesus. Y'all ever seen black Jesus? And it was like, this is a long time ago, so it was the 70s painting of black Jesus. So Jesus had a jerry curl like thing going on, and it looked like Jesus and Lionel Richie from the 70s had merged into one person. Uh, and and I, it, I remember just thinking, okay, be careful, little lips, what you say. And, and, and the, the, service, the service went amazing. I preached the house down. Y'all know what I do. Like, you know, I just preached the house down. It was amazing. 
And then after the service, uh, one of the ladies who was, I was a part of a, like a, a week-long event that they were doing, and uh, one of the ladies who was one of the leaders uh, came up to me after church and, and gave me an envelope with an offering in it. If you don't know, it's customary when somebody asks you to preach, they'll give you an offering for preaching. And this was a very small church. It was in a, a very poor neighborhood. And when she went to give me the envelope, in my heart, in my mind, I was like, man, I don't, they've got a big event. I don't want to take money from a, this church. It's in a small church in a, in a poor neighborhood. And I took the envelope and I was like, ma'am, give, give this back. Like, let this go towards the event. I'm honored to be here. And when I did it, I heard her. I saw the hurt in her eyes. Because my heart was, I don't want to take money from the small church. But what was communicated was I was the white guy who was too good to take money from the black church. So I learned my lesson. If you're black, I'll take your money. I, uh, <laughs> you give me money, I'll take it. Uh, and I, I'm, I, I'm serious when I say it. it still hurts me this day, but I was young. I was inexperienced. I didn't know how that would come across. So in my heart, I was sincere. But come on, you can be sincere and still be sincerely wrong. You know what I mean? Like I was sincerely wrong. And I hope I was given some grace and, and forgiveness, but it was such a learning opportunity for me because here's what I know is that it can be messy when we talk about race. It can be messy when we try to step out of our comfort zones. And I just think that in this world today that we need to have some conversations and we need to lean into some things. And if the church doesn't lead the way, then we get skewed in our ideology and our thinking. And I'll tell you this, I, I don't know that this is going to be perfect. I don't know if I'm going to say everything right. I'm just willing to embrace the mess because I believe we're better together. I believe we're stronger together. I believe this is, it's worth the risk of getting into trouble for us to have a conversation about what God's plan is for our world. Amen, somebody. And I, why are we doing this? I'm fighting for family, believe it or not. And I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. But even more than that, I'm fighting for faith family. For, for us to be a part, to be able to be a faith family regardless of maybe our national origin or uh, our, our ethnicity, because we are better together. We're stronger together. Come on, when we stand as one church, because how many of you know there's not a black church and there's not a white church and there's not a Hispanic church? There's just one church and it's Jesus's church. That's, that's all it is. And we've been talking about critical theory and today I'm going to talk about a branch off the critical theory tree that's called critical race theory. And as we get into this, I realize like I'm one voice and I want to make you aware of some of the resources that, that I'm using to teach on today. Uh, the first one is a, is a book, and this is a shorter book, shorter version of a long book that Dr. Tony Evans wrote, but it's called Kingdom Race Theology, which is so brilliant. Uh, he presents, instead of critical race theory, he presents what is called Kingdom Race Theology, and, and it's a brilliant book. Dr. Tony Evans, he pastors Oak Cliff Bible Church in Dallas, Texas. Many of you may recognize him. He's, been a, he's had a television ministry for years, a faithful man of God, raised an incredible family, built a great church, a great television ministry. Ministry. 
and it's a brilliant book. The second book that, I, that I've leaned in, I've read this book twice now because it was so impactful. This was actually the first book that I read on this topic. It's a book called Thought Lines by Dr. Vodi Bauckham, and it's an incredible book. Uh, Dr. Bauckham is born here in the U.S., but God called him to Zambia. He now leads a, a, a theological seminary in, in Zambia, uh, but he's a truth teller of truth tellers. So if you just want somebody that'll present it to you soft, that's not Dr. Bauckham. He's, he's going to tell you the truth. And then the last book is one that isn't written by a pastor. This isn't a Christian perspective. It's a book called Woke Racism by Dr. John McWhorter. Uh, he is a self-described atheist and what he calls himself a, a cranky liberal Democrat. And he, he, he is a professor of linguistics, a PhD. I mean, just brilliance on top of brilliance. Um, and he presents critical race theory as a new religion that is uh, permeating our, our, our culture and so for the past few weeks, we've been talking about critical theory. So what is critical theory? Critical theory sees social structures and sees them as oppressive. Social structures are oppressive. And, this, and the social structures, and this is where we've been dealing with this, is some of the social structures it sees as oppressive are actually kingdom designs. So social structures like marriage, like family as an authority structure with both a mom and a dad, they, we believe that the children aren't a commodity of the state, they're a responsibility and a gift to the parents. Social structures like gender and religion, race, and, and now, and I'm not even dealing with all this stuff, but things like democracy, capitalism, free, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, all, all of those are seen as societal structures. And critical theory was, was created a long time ago by people who were cynical of the world that we live in with all the modern advancements that we have in our modern society why do we still have poverty why do we still have injustice why do we still have hunger oppression and and the goal of the goal of critical theory is we're going to create a utopian society where no one ever has a problem there's no injustice but we're going to create a utopia a utopian society but we're not going to do it with the reality or the authority of Jesus in other words we're going to try to build heaven on earth but we're not going to acknowledge the only king who can bring heaven to earth and it's an attempt to rebuild Babel and that is we're going to reach God without God and we're going to have heaven without Jesus and we'll never get to heaven every time somebody's tried to build heaven without Jesus it always lands in hell there's only one king and there's only one person that's going to bring healing to the world and his name is Jesus and so in order in order to get rid of the problems of the world, and this is a term that you'll come across, we need to deconstruct the society that we're in. And the world wants to deconstruct because how many of you know demolition is easier than construction? That it's always easy, watch this, it's always easier to tear something down than to build something up. And there's so many people who are deconstructing in their faith because it's easy to deconstruct. Come on, it's harder to get back into work and like, hey, I'm not going to tear something down. God sent me here to build something up even when there's, even when there's opposition. And, and critical theory in many instances identifies real problems that need to be addressed. Poverty, injustice, hunger, inequality, racism. And like critical theory... Uh, critical race theory identifies legitimate problems that, but without a Christ-centered Bible focus, it identifies the right problems, but it brings all the wrong solutions. Does that make sense? So we need to establish racism and prejudice are still part of our culture. 
When, when our church was smaller, I, I, we, it was easier to know everybody. And so every person who was either black or Hispanic had either told me or reported that they had experienced some type of overt racism here in our community. Like, I'm not talking about, like, uh, you know, perceived. I'm talking about overt racism in our community. And that's why we used to do Wednesday morning prayer at 7.30 a.m. And every Wednesday morning, we would stand and we would pray against the spirit of racism in our community. As I just want to declare, that, that racial strife, all of that mess, not in our city. Come on, our church is going to lead the way spiritually. And we're not going to tolerate it. We're not going to tolerate it. And not only are we living, not only is racism and prejudice still a part of our world, but the, the effects of racist policies still are affecting communities today. If, if you've never studied redlining, if you've never studied criminal leasing, if you've never studied uh, Jim Crow laws, all of that stuff, listen, we're, we're battling generational things here. That just because maybe some laws have changed doesn't mean the effects of it has, has left our nation and, and guys, we're the church. This is our moment. God didn't call us into the kingdom for our comfort. He called us to go engage the darkness and bring light to the world. And so critical theory and critical race theory are, are worldviews. In other words, they become the lens through which you see the world. And I'm going to establish this critical theory and critical race theory are worldviews that are a opposing of a kingdom worldview. Like they're, 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 they're the opposition. So what's the difference between critical theory and critical race theory? Uh, critical theory sees the structure of our society as being oppressive. So a society itself is, being, uh, is oppressive. Critical race theory says racism created by white people for their own benefit was the fundamental organizing principle of society. So if, if critical theory says society is the problem, critical race theory says racism is what created the society that is the problem. Does that make sense, everybody? And so critical theory and, and critical race theory are, are things that oppose uh, a kingdom worldview. And, and so I brought two different pairs of glasses today. So these, these will be, be my kingdom glasses. These are my trendier. This is the trendy thing. So these are my critical race theory glasses. Okay, they're a little cooler. Uh, and, 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 and it's a worldview. So what is, what is woke? You've heard woke. Woke is you're, you're taking off a, a, a worldview and you're putting on the lenses of critical race theory. And now you're seeing racism all through our society. Does that make sense? Like you're, you're seeing it. And, and the difference between critical race theory and, and critical theory is critical theory sees the structures as being oppressive, but uh, critical race theory sees that race is what's behind it. And so here's the two worldviews is you've got, you've got kingdom worldview and you've got critical race theory as a worldview. And so is it racism or is it systemic racism? And, and there still could be policies that are racist, but what critical race theory does is it puts, on, it puts on this lens and it says our whole society is shaped by racism, so the whole system is racist. Does that make sense? So the whole system is oppressive. So the whole thing is, is oppressive. So that's why, that's why when, you, when people look through the lens of critical race theory, what you'll notice is they push transgenderism because gender is a construct of white people that holds the nation, that 
holds people in oppression, that the family structure, the nuclear family, a mom and a dad is a lens you put on. And that was, that was created by white people from racism to hold people in oppression, that religion is a system that was created. Is this making sense? Particularly Christianity, our type of government. So you put this lens on and you go, man, our constitution was written by all white people. Our nation is racist. And, and the, the constitution was written by all white guys. And then it goes like this. Like, if you notice, it, it's all about deconstruction. It's, hey, we're going to defund the police because police was something that was established. That is, the system is racist. So it's not, it's not reform police. It's not providing better accountability for police. It's not, let's train the police better. It's like, burn the whole thing down, which, by the way, people are running from because it's hurting the people that they thought that it would help because it's not working. And then everything, everything becomes racial, family structure, marriage structure, sexuality, gender. It's all tied into race because does this make sense? Race was what created all of that. And it blames the system or the structure of society for everything that is wrong. And it's because it's easier to blame the, when you blame the system for our sin, we don't have to blame ourselves for our sin. If we can, if we can make the system the problem, then we don't have to look in our own hearts. Hello, somebody. And if you take the critical race theory lenses off and you put on the kingdom lenses, I just broke my glasses. If you can blame the system for sin, then if you put on the kingdom lenses, then racism, here's what we say. Racism is still a sin. There's still racism in the world. It's a problem of the human heart. The effects of racism and racist policies still have effect in our world today. And we're still battling generational things in our nation. And as a church, listen, we're not just cared to, we're not just called to care about a person's soul and not care about their physical circumstances in their life. But on the other side of it, it's we no longer care about a person's spiritual life. It's just let's meet their physical needs and let's just work for justice. And listen, we should do that. But if we met every person's physical needs in this world and they didn't know Jesus, then they would miss eternity and we have not helped them. But the gospel isn't just exclusively to helping somebody's spiritual life. It also calls us to get involved in their physical needs and to help them physically. So it's not just one or the other. It's we prioritize the spiritual life, but we also know that Jesus came to make you whole mind, body, and soul to bless you, to break generational curses, to take away poverty, to take away brokenness, to take away every toxic thing in your life so that we could then find the wholeness and the completeness that Jesus came to give us. So we don't just meet physical needs and we don't just meet spiritual needs. We put on kingdom glasses and we say, we're here to build the church. We're here to reach people. We're here to help alleviate circumstances. We're here to change injustice. We're here to help lift people up and bring people into abundant life in Christ. And so here's, you put on the critical race theory lenses and it says this, that critical race theory says there's the oppressed and there's the oppressors. There's only two different groups of people. And if, if you are familiar, by the way, critical race theory was, the, the term was coined in 1989 in Milwaukee when a group of scholars got together who had been trained in critical theory, and this is where critical race theory came from, and they self-described, this isn't what I'm calling them or what anybody else is calling them, they self-described themselves as a group of Marxists. And if, you don't, if you're don't, not familiar with that, I would encourage you to study it because if we don't learn from history, we'll repeat history. And so it says there's oppressors and the oppressed. 
And Marxists would be the, the bourgeois and the proletariat, the, 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 the wealthy and the working class. And so what critical race theory did is it applied race to it, and it says now it's race, that, that, if you're, that, that there, is a, there is a limited amount of resources in the world. So when you put on the critical race theory, there is a limited amount of resources in the world, and the majority holds resources, and through that maintains power over other groups. And this is, this is really simple, okay? Uh, if you're white, you're an oppressor, and if you're not white, then you're oppressed. That's, what, that's the lens of critical race theory, that, that if you're white because you're a part of a system that was shaped by white racists, then you have benefited from racism and, and just your very existence is oppressive to other people. Does that make sense? And then what if you're not white and you and by the way, if it, there, your oppression level is determined by the shade of your skin, which is where, and your circumstances of your life, which is where intersectionality comes from. I don't have time to get into it. So what if you're not white, you don't feel oppressed, you feel blessed, you're successful. Uh, what that says is that you've internalized your oppression, you've learned to play the system, and that you are now part of the oppression and you're a race traitor to your race because you've learned to play the system. That's the lens of critical theory. So can we just put on the lens of kingdom theology for a second? Here's the lens of, theolo of kingdom theology. There is not a limited amount of resources in the world because we have a God who has limitless resources and he is a provider for every person on the planet. And listen, somebody being blessed isn't the enemy of your blessing. Like instead of being threatened by it, we need to be inspired by it and believe that if God did it for them, then he can do it for us. That's the purity of our heart. And then here's like critical race theory just throws a blanket over everybody. If you're white, you're racist just because your existence. And the Bible doesn't put people, doesn't put sin on people because racism is a sin. And it doesn't put sin on people in blanket terms. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. The person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins. The parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior. And and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. We will all stand before God by ourselves. And that God is going to judge the individual. And, and critical race theory groups everybody together and lumps, throws a blanket over sin. And listen, I, I'm not responsible for my children's sin. My children aren't responsible for my sin. I'll stand before God for my own life. As, as close as I am to Heidi, my wife, Heidi will not be able to stand with me on the day that I stand before the Almighty God. No one else is going to be standing here. I can't blame you. I can't use you as an excuse. I'm going to stand before the Almighty God and I'm going to answer for the choices and the things that I did in this life. But it's great news because what it means is whatever your grandfather was, it doesn't mean that sin got imputed on you. God can impute righteousness on you, but another person can't impute sin onto you. So your grandfather may have been the racist of all races, but your mom or dad may have woke up, realized that's not what God has for us and raised you differently. And just because your grandfather was something doesn't mean that's what you are. You may have been a racist and had prejudice in your heart, but one day you may have encountered a God that loved you so much that it changed your heart from the inside out. And if you repented of your sins and you made right with people, with the people, the things that you did wrong, then in that moment you are clean before God and we are not part of the problem. We're part of the progress this world needs. And that's people moving on into the things that God has for our life. And then here's, here's the last lens is it's narrative versus reasoning. In fact, 
that, that narrative is more important than, than logic and reasoning and objective truth. I, I want you to see, this is, this is, what, this is what one uh, government entity posted, um, what they described as whiteness. So I want you to notice something, rugged, rugged individualism, the individual is the primary unit, self-reliance, independence and autonomy are highly valued because what critical race theory says is you're not your own person, you have to be lumped in with a group of people. Um, and I want you to notice something, why are we doing this talk on critical race theory? Because every time you see critical race theory, you'll see them attack the family structure. Look at this. The nuclear family, what the nuclear family is a, a father, mother, 2.3 children is the ideal societal unit. Listen, I don't care if you have 2.3 children, if you have one child, or some of you have too many children, but that's another message. Uh, the wife is the, I don't care if your wife works or stays at home, uh, like n- none of that matters, but what does matter is family, mom and dad raising kids together. That's not a product of racism. That's a product of a kingdom mentality that God has given us for our world. I want you to notice something. Uh, Emphasis on scientific method. Objectivity is out the window. Um, This one got them in trouble. Protestant work ethic. Hard work is the key to success. They made made hard work a white thing. How, How racist is that? Because I'm, I'm white. I know a lot of white people. I know some lazy white people. I don't know that hard work is necessarily a white thing. Um, and then I want you to notice something else is religion. Religion is a social construct shaped by racism. But I want you to notice which one they point at. They don't point at Islam. They don't point at Buddhism. They don't point at that. It's all about under attacking Christianity. Look at the cross that they put on there. Listen, guys, God has called us to build the church. The church, the church is not a white church. The church is, is the most diverse thing. This book wasn't written by white people. This book was written by Middle Eastern people, primarily to Middle Eastern people. And Christianity is the most diverse faith on the world. There are churches in Africa. There are churches in Latin. American countries, the fastest growing church right now is in China where they can't even have church. And we stand together, not as a white religion. We stand together as brothers and sisters across every race declaring there's one king and his name is Jesus. But the hard work thing got them in trouble. They deleted it. But it's narrative versus reasoning, which means there's no universal truth. There's no objective truth. And Dr. Vaudi Bauckham in his book just absolutely destroys this. You should check it out, Fault Lines. But if you put on your kingdom glasses, Proverbs 11 and 1, the Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weights. What does that mean? God is into exact weights and measurements. That God is into objective truth. That that our narrative should never skew what is the data and the actual information. And right now, narrative is king. And, and news media organizations and social media will push narrative even and tell you to listen to the science or listen to the data when the data doesn't even support. But it's because there's no objective truth. Listen, God says, I don't delight in dishonest weights and measurements. I want you to speak the truth objectively. And, and God's into exact weights and measurements. And so I want to give you in just the last few minutes, I'm going to run through this. This is going to be fast. I'm sorry. I'm doing a seven hour message in 30 minutes. Okay. Uh, I want to give you God's recipe for race. Anybody got your heart open, ready to receive. Okay, number one, every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being, Genesis 1, 27. So God created human beings in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Every person on the planet is an image bearer of the Almighty God. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. God created human beings. We love and honor and we cherish people because people are made in the image of God. And as an image bearer of the Almighty God, that your ethnicity, your background, wherever you come from, that does not determine your value. Your value is intrinsic because it comes from being an image bearer of the Almighty God. Number two is we all have a common heritage. Genesis chapter three, verse 20 says, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, watch this, because she would become the mother of all who live. So we may have different cultures. We may have come from different places. We, we may have different ethnicities, but we all came from Adam and Eve, that we all came from Adam and Eve. And, and I'm going to talk about in a minute how we are brothers and sisters in Christ. But the truth is that we are brothers and sisters in humanity. And God, may, God created our bodies with adaptability. The Bible doesn't tell us what race Adam and Eve were. We don't know what race they were or what their skin color was. I have a feeling it was probably somewhere in the middle because some people got darker, some people got lighter. And so God probably put them in the middle. And what happened is God created our bodies with adaptability. So people, people start spreading all over the world. People People go to different continents. Ex- they are in different environments, and our bodies adapt to that. And then out of that comes different cultures, different languages. All these things emerge. And so we think we're so different. But if you go back far enough, all of us have the same mom and dad. We're all somehow co- cousins and brothers and sisters in this thing called the human race. Does that make sense, everybody? Number three, God is the author of diversity. Sin is the source of division. God created us to be diverse. It's the beauty of God that he would, create, he would create diversity. How boring would the world be if there were only one ethnicity? How boring would the world be if there was only one culture, if there was only one race? Think, think about what every race, what every ethnicity, what every nationality has contributed to our society in arts and music and in and, and all of the things that we enjoy. Come on, God created a pretty beautiful, wonderful place that we live in. It's sin that creates the division. God is into diversity. He's the one that diversified us. And number four, in Christ, we are one. Like in the world, we, we might be separated, but in Christ, we are one. Galatians says this. It says, Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 29. And all who have put, been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. There is neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all, listen to this, one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham and are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. We are all now part of a spiritual family. And it's not that our earthly identity goes away. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, who we are. Because it said male and female, and we just did a whole talk on gender Like it's not that our earthly identity goes away. It's just when we come to Christ, there is not one person that gets preference over another person that society may divide us, but God doesn't divide us, that there is equal ground at the foot of the cross and every person has access to the same God. And that when we come to Christ, when we get baptized, when we come up, we come up as one spiritual family, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we all trace our faith lineage back to one man and his name is Abraham, which means we are part of 
of the spiritual family of God. And the world may divide us, but come on, family, we're one in Jesus Christ. And number five is this, is our work is building the church. It's building the church. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, Paul says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. What, what is our work? Our work is reconciling people to God so then we can reconcile people to one another. The, the ministry of reconciliation is restoring people's relationship to God so that we can reconcile relationships in God's kingdom, that we really are stronger together, that we really are better together. And how do we do our work? We do our work by building the church. And right now, everybody's looking to government and everybody's looking to media and everybody's looking to other people. And even right now, there's people who are looking to white people and saying, hey, it, you, you need to be the hope and you need to lead this thing. And I would tell you don't look don't look to white people don't look to any person don't look to government we look to one place and we look to Jesus and we say there's one king and there's one kingdom there's one hope there's there's one thing and Jesus did not just come to just preach a spiritual uh, entity that Jesus this was Jesus's message he said I've come to preach the gospel to the poor I've come to preach the gospel to those who are bound I've come to preach the gospel to those who are in prison I've come to preach the gospel to those who are oppressed I've come to to preach the gospel to the blind, that I'm not just coming to save your soul. I'm coming to free you from whatever it is that oppresses you. And we believe the kingdom of God is the place where people get reconciled to God so that we can be reconciled to one another so that we can see people not only have their souls saved, but have their lives restored and see curses broken off that may have been generational become, we just keep building the church. We just keep moving the kingdom of God forward. And we just generation after generation keep pointing people to Jesus who came to break every curse, every bondage, open every prison door, break every chain, remove all injustice so we can see the world that God envisioned so that one day we can stand as one family from every race, from every tribe, from every tongue and declare together as one spiritual family. He is the one who is worthy of all wisdom and glory and honor and power and might. There is one who sits on the throne and his name is Jesus. Come on, let's build the church. Let's expand the kingdom of God. Let's preach the gospel. Let's give opportunity. Let's invest in our community. Let's make sure that people get opportunities to move forward. That we're not tearing something down. We're building something up. That we're not looking in the past. We're looking in the future. And we're preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody give God some praise in the room today. So here's... Here's the question. Here's the question I want to end with today. Is what lens are you wearing in your life? Like, what are you, what are you looking through? Are your, eyes, are your eyes on Jesus? Or are your eyes on culture? Who's, who's your leader? Listen, if the prominent, 
primary and predominant leader of your life is a current or past president, you've got your eyes on the wrong person. If you're watching so much 24-hour news that you're seeing the world through the lens of that and you're not seeing the lens through the Word of God, we need to get a better lens for our life. Who's, who's your lens? Is it social media? Is that the lens of your life? Is it a celebrity? Is it an influencer? Or can I ask this question? Is Jesus the leader and the Lord of your life? Is, is God's word your lens? Are you reconciled to God? Because all of those people that we allow to influence our lives, none of them are going to stand with us the day that we see God. And when God sees us, he's not going to see them. He's going to see us. And here's the goal is that when God sees us, he doesn't see us. He sees his son in us. And he says this, I don't see your sin. I don't see your shame. I see the sacrifice of my son. And from every race, tribe, and tongue, there's going to be those, come on, who clothe, who clean their robes with the blood of Jesus Christ. They've been made clean. Their, their robes are washed. And today I want to just ask, are you reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you in, are you in unity with Jesus? I know it sounds trite. I know it sounds like church cliche. But we will never get this earthly plane right until we get the heavenly thing right. Until we have alignment with God, we'll never have unity in the world. And today I want to give an opportunity. Maybe you're in this room and you're not reconciled to God. Come on, I believe in this moment. I believe in this moment that we can, we can have our robes washed in the blood of a lamb. A spotless lamb. And in that moment, in that moment, the old has passed away, the old is gone, and we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Come on, I want to lead you in a prayer all across this room. If you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, you need to make Jesus the leader and the Lord of your life. It could be another person. You could be leading your own life. But I know when we stand on that day, come on, I don't want to be the one God sees. I want, G I want God to see the, the sacrifice of Jesus applied to my life. All across this room, just if you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, just say this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my past. Wash away my sin. Make me a new person. Today I receive you as my leader and my Lord. And I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Can we give Jesus some praise? Listen, there's, there's people watching online right now. There are those in this room that maybe you just prayed that prayer in your heart. A prayer of new beginnings, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of reconciling to God. And online and in this room, I'm going to count to three. So the Bible talks about believing in your heart. That's what we just did. But it also talks about the confession of your mouth, about confessing Jesus as Lord, that today, come on, today we're going to make the declaration that I'm not who I used to be. Today, I'm reconciled to God. Come on, today, 
my robes are washed and I'm clean, that I'm not what I've done, that sin is not imputed onto me, but God's righteousness is imputed onto my life. When I get to three online, I just want you to type Jesus in all caps in this room. Come on, Coast Life family. Can we believe that this is somebody's day of a new beginning, of a new creation? of the old being washed away. I believe eternity is going to be a little bit different because of this moment right here. I I believe that there are going to be more people. doesn't matter the color of your skin, your ethnicity, the country you come from. There's going to be more people standing around the throne saying there was one who was worthy of praise and glory and honor and dominion and might and power. And his is a name that is above every name. So come on, if this is your day of declaration, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time or a recommitment of your life, online type Jesus in the room lift your hand you ready coastline family on the count of three one two come on if that was you three would you lift your hand today i saw that come on lift your hand lift your hand lift your hand today's my day a day of reconciliation a day of coming back to god come on hey welcome to the family of god give them a great hand everybody Hey, thank you for joining us, and a special thank you to those of you who give so faithfully and generously to this church. It's because of people like you that podcasts like this are possible, and you can click the link in the description to give now, or you can visit mycoastlifechurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love it if you subscribed, share it with your friends. So thank you for listening, and God bless you.